0: Good morning, church, and I want to say a special good morning to our online campus and also our West Haven campus who's watching live right now, so a shout out, a special shout out to the West Haven campus. Hey, God is still watching you in West Haven, even though I can't. If you fall asleep, God knows it, Um, but everybody, whether here at the Layton campus or online or in West Haven, if you want to open up your Bibles To Mark chapter 9, we've been in the gospel of Mark since the beginning of the year. It's been awesome. It's been such a great journey as we're studying God's word, as we're studying this gospel, the shortest of the four gospels. And last two weeks ago, if you're here two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountaintop and he revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John. You know one of the things that we've been studying as we've been going throughout this gospel of Mark is is that Jesus is just trying to show himself to his people. In particular, he's trying to show himself to his 12 disciples. Like it's like we're getting a close up of of his interaction with his 12 disciples and if you've if you haven't been here, let me just kind of catch everybody up and what we've been learning is that the disciples were Morons? Is that the? Can we use that word? They were the. uh, Maybe I shouldn't use the word, but the disciples weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. Let's just say that. You're going to see that some more today. Now, look, I'm not trying to make fun of these guys. I we are these guys. This is all of us. We're putting ourselves in the shoes of the disciples as we're studying the Gospel of Mark, and it's like Jesus keeps revealing himself to the people all along. This whole time, he keeps revealing himself. To his disciples, and his disciples keep putting their foots in their mouths. His disciples keep asking the stupidest questions. His disciples aren't totally getting it. But two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus took at least three of them up to the mountaintop—Peter, James, and John—and he revealed himself. He transfigured himself. He showed himself to be God. It was—it was reminiscent of how God did that with Moses back in the Old Testament, and he revealed his glory to these disciples and. And then we saw last week that they came down off the mountaintop and the other nine disciples were there and they were trying to cast a demon out of a boy, a young boy. A father in desperation brings his son to have this demon cast out because this demon was wreaking havoc in the life of this young boy. And if any of you have been there, where as parents, especially if you see your kids struggling, like that's a difficult thing to see your kids struggling. So this dad was desperate and the other nine disciples couldn't do it. Now, they could do it earlier. They could do it early. You know, a couple chapters ago, we studied it, and they went out. Jesus, when he first sent them out, they were able to cast out demons. But this time, apparently, they weren't able to do it. And I think part of the reason for that is because I think maybe the disciples had gotten to this place where they thought it was their power. They thought it was their authority. They thought it was their words that did it. It worked before, but then it didn't work the next time. And Jesus came and cast out the demon. This was last week's message. Jesus came and cast out the demon. And and afterward the disciples said, Why couldn't we do it? And he said, This kind comes out only by prayer. So apparently what happened is they, I think, the Bible doesn't say this, but I think that they were, they were they were thinking it was more about them. They were thinking it was it was more about the quality, there was some quality in them that could cast out demons. And, and Jesus was basically saying, no, it's not about you, it's about your connection to Jesus. It's about the authority of Jesus. Now I'm bringing all this up because I, I need to set up today's passage. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9 and verses 30 to 50. We've got a lot of verses to cover. We've got to go kind of quick because at least here in Layton we have a picnic to go to. <laughs> and probably our West Haven people, some of them are going to be crashing the picnic as well, and you're welcome to. But open your Bibles there. We've got a ton of, of ground to cover, but I want to give you context because it's always good to read Scripture in context. When you don't read Scripture in context, that's how cults get started. When you start pulling stuff out of context, that's how churches go astray. Whole religions go astray when you pull stuff out of context. So th- Keep in mind the context of this is Jesus had just taken the, these three disciples up to the mountaintop. They, they come down after seeing Jesus in all his glory. They see who he really is. And they come down. The other nine can't heal it, can't cast out a demon. They're feeling pretty bad about themselves. They're feeling pretty kind of less than. If you've ever felt like you failed before, maybe some of you are here today and you say, I, I feel like I've failed before. Maybe you even come today and you bring this sense of shame. Or or this sense of I'm not good enough for God. Maybe some of you are here today and that's how you feel. Today's message is for you. Because today we're gonna talk about the key to greatness. And I I wanna start by asking this question What do you believe is the key to greatness? Before we even see Jesus' answer, spoil alert, Jesus is gonna give this answer as he talks to his disciples. And, And again, you can kind of understand how this question's gonna come up for the disciples. Because three of them just went up to the top of the mountain with Jesus, and the other nine probably felt like second-class citizens. You ever notice that? Now, by the way, one of our pastors the other day said, I see it differently. Parents, think about it. Who do you spend the most time with of your kids? The ones who need the most help, right? So maybe Peter, James, and John weren't the top three. Maybe they're the bottom three. And Jesus is like, you guys need to stick with me. I think he might have had the leash. Have you ever seen that, the parents with the leashes? I think they might have been on the leash. But anyway, we don't know. But that might have been the conversation that the disciples were having as they come down off the mountain. The other nine couldn't heal, couldn't cast out this demon. They're starting to feel bad about themselves. Jesus says, you have to be connected to me. This time comes out, this type comes out only by prayer, by connection, vital connection to Jesus. It's not about you, it's about your connection to Jesus. In the context of all that, they're going to have this conversation about how to really be great. How would that conversation go in our society today? What is the key to greatness? You know, maybe in the sports world, it's how many rings do you have? Who's the goat, right? Who's the goat? Is it, I mean, it's hard to argue against Tom Brady for how many Super Bowl championships he has. I'm not even a Tom Brady's fan. I can't even stand him because <laughs> we can never beat him. The Bears can never beat him. What is the key to greatness? You know, the big debate, is it Michael Jordan or you fill in the blank? I don't know who else the other options are. I'm from Chicago. (laughs) Clearly, it's Michael Jordan. (laughs) Maybe in business. What makes me great in business? Maybe you think it's my next promotion. Maybe you think it's, it's it's the amount of money that I make. It's my salary. It's what I can drive up to work in. The car that I can park next to everybody else. Maybe in the military, a lot of military folks here, what's the key to greatness? Some of you might might say, maybe it's the rank. It's my rank. I mean, really, our culture, and cultures have always asked the question, what is that? What, what is the key to greatness? Well, Jesus has an answer, and Jesus is gonna give that answer to the disciples. Let's take a look at the text. Mark 9, starting in verse 30. Leaving that region, so this was the region where they were just trying to cast the demons out, and they couldn't, and then Jesus could. They traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. We see this over and over. Jesus is just trying to spend more. He knows his time is short, and he just wants to invest in his disciples. He just wants to teach his disciples. He's 12. He wants to make sure that they get it, because have I mentioned that they're not the sharpest tools in the shed? He wants to make sure that, that they understand it. Because they're going to be carrying on his organization, the kingdom of God. He's going to be, they're going to be planting the church in a little bit. They don't know this yet, but they're going to be the, the first leaders in this new movement that we're a part of 2,000 years later. That, that, that's what we're reading here. So he wanted to teach them. He, he wanted to make sure that they were understanding who he was and who they needed to be in light of who he was. And so he said to them, the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself a lot of times, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. This is like the third or fourth time we've seen Jesus say this in two chapters. I want to make sure you keep that in mind. That Jesus, Jesus keeps telling them, he just revealed his glory to three of them. He just revealed that he's God. He just revealed that, that he is the creator of the universe. He just showed his incredible power and greatness. And now he's telling them, I'm going to die. I mean, I think we need to keep this in mind. Just the juxtaposition of these two things. I'm great. I'm glorious. I'm God. But I'm going to die. They didn't get this. Remember a couple of weeks ago Peter rebuked Jesus for saying this, and Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan." So he says it again, "The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He's going to be killed, but 3 days later he'll rise from the dead." They didn't understand what he was saying. They still didn't get what he was saying. They still I want to make sure you understand this. Their picture of the son of man, which is a which is a reference in the Old Testament in their Jewish scripture to who this Messiah figure was going to be. Their picture of the Son of Man or the Messiah, their picture was this guy that was going to conquer the Romans. He was, going to, he was going to set up and establish a kingdom on earth. That was their picture. And so when he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. They're like, we don't get it. I don't understand. I can't see what you're talking about here. And they were afraid to ask him what he meant. I used to, years ago, before I went into ministry, I taught math in the public school system. And I used to tell the students, day one, I used to tell the students, hey, I know math is hard, but there are no dumb questions. Only dumb people who ask those questions. <laughs> that was kind of my way to get, get it started. But maybe Maybe that was a little bit harsh, but anyway. These guys felt like maybe you felt in a math class before where you're like, I, this is a stupid question. I'm not even going to ask it. Uh, no, I'm not going to ask the question. Jesus, what? Could you go over this again? You're going to die? Peter, James, and John are probably like, what did we just see up at the top of the mountain? I'm, not, I'm having a hard time connecting these two concepts. The disciples were too scared to ask about it. But apparently, remember, they're on a, they're on a journey. They're walking, they're walking from one town to the next town. And apparently, even though they were afraid to ask a question, some of them hung out behind Jesus and had their own side conversation. They didn't think Jesus could hear it, but he could. Verse 33, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what were you guys talking about out on the road? I mean, you remember when I, when I told you that I'm going to die, but after three days I'm going to rise again? and then you guys fell silent and had your own little side conversation. Yeah, what were you guys talking about? But they didn't answer. Cuz they felt stupid again because of what they were talking about. Here's what they were talking about. They didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> Hold on a second. I just I you really need to see what's going on here. Jesus just said, "I'm going to die." And they're like, I wonder which one of us is going to be the greatest. <laughs> I wonder which one of us. Here's what I think happened: is there's another gospel that talks about Peter, about James and John. They were brothers. James and John argued about which one of them were going to sit at the right hand of the fo- of, of Jesus. That sitting at the right hand of Jesus meant that you were like the second in command. You were like his right underneath him, and then sitting at le- his left hand was a couple rungs beneath that. And so that's what I think was happening here. It doesn't say, but I, I, if you put it together with some of the other scriptures, I think they went from, he's going to die, he's going to rise again, okay, so then which one of us gets to sit at his right hand? In fact, James and John even brought their mom into it. They were like, mom, go tell, ask Jesus which one of us is going to sit. So their mama's boys on top of all of it. I mean, I just, we need to pause for a second and understand just how, I don't know if Jesus laughed at this or if he was just so frustrated at this, like you aren't getting it. I'm not sure which one, but I love his response. It says that he sat down. This is so instructive for us, those of us who maybe sometimes we're trying to teach, if you're mentoring somebody or you, parents, if you're still trying to disciple your kids or, or raise your kids to, to love Jesus, sometimes it's just easy to be harsh with our kids. It's easy to kind of just just bark at them and, and try, to, try to like cram truth down their throat. But I love what Jesus does. He sits down. I mean, to sit down means that you've got to have a certain pace to your life, to sit down means that you have to like, trust that they're going to eventually get it. Jesus sat down. And he called the 12 disciples over to him. And then he taught them this lesson. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everybody else. I see what you're trying to do, disciples. I I understand that probably some of this argument has to do with the fact that I took Peter, James, and John up and not the other nine. I understand that some of this might be because the other nine couldn't cast out a demon and now they're feeling kind of insecure. So I wanna just, I wanna set set the record straight and I want you to understand what the key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven is. Because you're obviously not getting it. Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of all. It's like this upside-down kingdom. It's not about clawing your way to the top. It's about serving. It's about serving. It's about humble service. That's the key to greatness. And then Jesus did the kind of thing that he had to do a lot of times. A lot of times he would tell a parable, which would be like a story, some words, a story that would help connect the dots for them, because did I mention they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed? I'm trying not to use the word moron so much, because I don't want everybody calling everybody morons at the picnic today. So just this, you know, not the sharpest tools in the shed. And then here's what he does. He he calls a child over. He's going to use like a prop, not a parable. He's going to use a prop. He put a little child among them, and then he took the child in his arms. Now remember, he's still sitting there. He's still just, he's trying to help his disciples connect the dots and understand what greatness is really about because they thought greatness was about getting to the top. They thought greatness was about going to the top of the mountain with Jesus. They thought greatness was about these these huge things like casting out demons, all these big, huge, like, like, tweetable stuff. That's what they thought greatness was. They thought it was the kind of stuff that would, that would get lots of likes and followers. That's, that's how they viewed greatness. And he's trying to flip it around on them. And he takes this little child and he says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me but also the Father who sent me. Now look, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna talk, Jesus is going to talk about children again and he's going to say, if you want to be in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a child. But that's not what he's saying here. He's gonna, we'll talk about that in two weeks. What is, it, what is the childlike quality that, brings us, that allows us to enter the kingdom of heaven? Come back in two weeks for that one. In this one, he's talking about something else. He's saying, you need to welcome a child. Remember, he just said, whoever wants to be the greatest must serve the least. If you want to be great, you have to serve the least. And in Jewish culture, in really any ancient culture, 2,000 years ago, children were not precious. People did not look at children the way we look at children today. People didn't say, I just got to see the Beasley's new little baby. Oh, how adorable. How cute. So cool. And like we're all gawking over little kids and we, we love our little kids and we we serve our kids, and you should serve our kids back in Kids Church, by the way, if you didn't hear Tracy's <laughs> announcement. West Haven, too, you need to serve your kids. We, we think our kids are awesome, and we really live for our kids. In that culture, kids were like just below women. Now, I'm not trying to like, make some kind of statement right here. I'm just telling you the way it was. Women were second-class citizens, and kids were lower than that. Now, that's, by the way, not how Jesus treated women or kids at all. He was revolutionary the way he treated women and kids. And here he is treating kids that they were like, kids are to be seen and not heard. Actually, in their culture, kids aren't even to be seen. Kids are nobodies. And Jesus takes this child who represents the least. And Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to serve children. Children they would have been like, that's preposterous. No adult would serve a child. No man would serve a child, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to serve those who aren't great in your eyes. Now, that's not how we view children, but but isn't that true that sometimes in our society that maybe it's not kids, but think about in our society who is the least in our society? Who is is somebody that you would have a hard time serving in our culture today? Who is somebody that you feel like is beneath you today? That's who you should have in your mind right now. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you should serve that person. You should serve those people. The disciples didn't know what to do with this. And so John said this to Jesus. Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Oh my goodness. Is anybody following? I know it's easy when we read scripture, it's so easy to just kind of read it and read past it and miss it, but I just I want you to un, like put yourself in the sandals of Jesus for a second. He must have been just thinking, are you guys still not listening? I'm literally telling you how to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm connecting it to my my death and resurrection. I'm connecting it to humility. The key to greatness is humility. That's really what it is. It's you just have to humble yourselves. That's what, I want you to be humble. I want you to serve the little ones. I want you to serve the least of these. I want you to be a giver, not a taker. I don't want you to be, you know, scrapping for my right hand. I want you to just, Love people in humility. That's what I want you to do. And John's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but here, let's talk about this now. We saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. What's our group? It's your group now? It's not Jesus' group. It's your group. It's our group, Jesus. Like, we're in the inner circle. Does anybody get this way? We're like in the inner circle now, now we're and it's by the way, it's John who was one of the three. Okay, so John is saying, I want, I want to make sure you understand what he's saying. John is saying, we're closest to you, we're in your inner circle. I'm kind of thinking I'm at the right hand. We're in your inner circle. We have a corner on the truth, and these other people are outsiders. This other guy, he's an unnamed exorcist. We don't even know his name. Mark doesn't even tell us his name, I think, on purpose. This, this guy's on the outside. He's not valuable. Does that sound familiar? Who else isn't valuable? Children? Jesus still has this child right there. Jesus still has this child basically in his lap, and John is like saying, okay, yeah, whatever you're saying about the kids, I don't know. But anyway, this other guy is an outsider too. This other guy is not worthy also. This other guy is the least of the, this other guy, how dare he? How dare he think he's in our group? Again, Jesus could have just gotten so angry and so frustrated at him, but Jesus is so gracious. If I was in Jesus' shoes, I'd be like, our group, John? Seriously, John? But Jesus didn't say that. He just said, don't stop him. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Now hold on. I know we got to, we, we're covering a lot of scripture here. We're not even done. First of all, as a church, may we, never, may we never get this attitude that we say we're the one true church. God only does works here at Alpine Church like Alpine Churches is the greatest church. May we never have that attitude. May we ha- never have that perspective. If you're new with us today, if you're visiting either here or at our West Saving Campus, I want to just encourage you, if, if you're checking out churches, I always tell people this, check out a couple of churches. And, and if you end up landing at Alpine, awesome. Become a part of Alpine. Get involved. Let's pursue God together. But there are a lot of great churches in the area. And God wants to, God wants to do a work in All of the churches that are Bible-based that are teaching Jesus. And there are a lot of those churches. In fact, a couple of years ago, some of our pastors, it was very hurtful to us, but some of our pastors left and started a church right here in the area. And it was really hurtful to us. It was hurtful to a lot of us who were on that team. It felt a little bit like a stab in the back. But you know what we did at the end of the day is we're like, you know what? If they're not against us, they're for us. It's not about us. Like, we don't have a corner on the truth. And so we bless that church and I pray that many people come to know Jesus at that church. That should always be our attitude as followers of Jesus. That wasn't the disciples' attitudes. They're like, he's not in our group. By the way, what is he doing? This guy is casting out demons in your name. He was doing it in the name of Jesus. There was no heresy here. He just wasn't one of the ones closest to Jesus. And the disciples were talking about Who the greatest were, and they they were like, we're at least in the top 12, and John's like, I'm in the top two. But this guy is outside of that group, and Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop thinking about it like that. But I want to point out what he says here. He says, because it's interesting why, why he says this in verse 41. He says, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Do you see what Jesus did there? Let me explain it. The disciples are still thinking about greatness in terms of great acts, like casting out demons. This guy is casting out a demon, and they can't figure it out because they couldn't do it in the previous story. And Jesus shifts it from talking about casting out demons, which is what they thought meant greatness was, And Jesus is talking about serving again. He says, if you even give a cup of water. So see, they're trying to to do what what we're, when we're answering this question, what's the key to greatness? They're still thinking about all this stuff, like the up front, the on stage stuff. The people who can sing like angels and play instruments or preach or whatever, like the, like the, Upfront stuff, that's what they're thinking about with greatness. And Jesus is trying to tell them, no, it's about serving. Greatness is about serving. The great people today are the ones behind the, the grills at the picnic. That's greatness. It's the people who are serving. We have so many people here at our church who just serve and give. And you'll never see them on a camera. You'll never see them up on stage Jesus is saying, they're the great ones. So the disciples are saying, they're talking about performing miracles. And Jesus is saying, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, then that person will surely be rewarded. That's greatness. Greatness is humbly serving. It's not this heroic performance. It's humility. Greatness is humility. The key to greatness is humility. And then Jesus says in the next verse, verse 42, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Jesus still has this child right there. The child hasn't left yet. This little kid, this is all one, that's why we're covering a lot of ground today. This is all one story. Jesus still has this kid here, and he says, if any of you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, then oh boy. Oh boy. He's, he's talking about serving, loving, humbly looking at the people who are less than, and not, not feeling like you're better than they are. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But you know what, you know what, what he's talking about with the little ones? I don't think he's actually talking about the child anymore. If you read this in context, I think he's talking about that unknown exorcist. I think he's talking about that guy from verse 38 where John said, this guy's doing miracles. He's casting out demons in your name, but he's not one of our group. I think Jesus is talking about that guy because they saw him as less than. They saw him as a little one. And I think Jesus is saying You're not that special, John. You're not that special, James. You're not that special, Peter. I don't know for you how you kind of perceive all this, but I want to just challenge you to think about in your life who is it that you look down on. And Jesus, I think, would say, stop it. He finishes this whole story with this, verse 49 to 50. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. You know, there's all kinds of seasoning. We're gonna be... For the latent campus, we're gonna be picnicking, having a f- fun time together. I don't know what kind of seasonings you like, but I'm a just a salt and pepper guy. Like that's I like I'm a, I'm a hamburgers, I just like salt and pepper. I'm just a simple guy, I love it. Just mm, perfect, can't wait. Thank you for all of our great servants who are gonna be who are gonna be doing great things behind the grill today. What is the ingredient that Jesus is calling us to have? that seasons our interactions with people. It's humility. The the salt that that allows us to live in peace with each other, that that key ingredient that allows us to just really like interact with people in our world in a way that points them to Jesus, that seasoning is just humility. That That we would interact with other people in our neighborhoods at work even in our families, maybe who don't always see things the way we see things, or maybe we just view them as beneath us. We view that we, we think that we're kind of above them. What Jesus is calling us to is, is just to humbly interact with them and to be salt to them, to be light to them in the world. And the ultimate example of that was Jesus going to the cross for us. That's why we started this whole thing in, in that, the first few verses. We, we started this whole thing with Jesus saying, I'm gonna die. And they just didn't get it. Why? Because they didn't understand that greatness was about laying down your life. Greatness was about sacrificing yourself for someone who is not as valuable as you are. Someone who's not as worthy as you are. We're not as, we're not, we don't come close to the worthiness. We, like we're so unworthy, we're so sinful, we're so broken, and yet Jesus said, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what I need to do to bring peace to you. And he went to the cross, and he died on the cross in humility. If we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to have that same attitude, that same perspective, that same humility. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you loved us so much. Not because we earned your love, not because we're worthy, not because we're great. Because we see ourselves reflected in these 12 disciples and they just had a hard time getting it, connecting the dots. But greatness in your book Jesus, is about serving. In fact, it's about dying. You went to the cross. You died. You gave up your life for us. The one thing that was so valuable, you. You gave up your life for us. And we're just, we weren't worth it but that's what you were trying to teach your disciples. Jesus, I pray that we would understand that, God, that we would know how that, how that needs to be played out in our lives. God, I pray for the person who's here today who, they know just who you're talking about to them. There's somebody at work that is beneath them and Jesus, I pray today that you would give that, that follower, that disciple, the heart of Jesus for that little one, the insignificant one. God, there's a family member here today who feels that way about somebody in their family. And God, I pray that you would reconcile that relationship. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray, I pray Lord God, that we would be salt and light in that relationship, that we would humble ourselves. God, that we would be willing to sacrifice our pride in order to restore a relationship and to point a person to Jesus. God, there are a 100 applications to today's message, what you taught your disciples 2,000 years ago, but God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would bring the right application to mind for every single one of us because we know that's how you love to do it.